I'm sorry, I wasn't listening to any of that. This is the Video for Colleges podcast. I'm Joe Case, digital media producer. No, sorry. Director. Frank's the digital media producer. Senior. Senior digital media producer. And Carly is the... Junior. No, you're not a producer. You're not a camera toucher. No. You're a... I'm on my own island. What is your title? I don't know what your title is. I don't think I've ever looked at my card. (laughs) Do you have cards? Yeah, I do. They were given to you. Uh, Post-production specialist. Sweet. Technically. Yeah. Um, good. Glad we got that straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found this article online as I did a search for um, higher ed video just to see if the video for colleges.com blog or podcast would come up. How our are SEO. we on the first page? We are not. I gave up after about page 15. <laughs> but this article, I found an, uh, an interesting article on the first page. I think it was maybe the third link. Six ways to raise the bar on higher ed videos. I thought, you know, we could we could go over. All right, let's see what this stuff is. Just in yeah. case, yeah, just in case our listeners didn't didn't see the article, we could go over it. And I want to get your reactions to these six ways to raise the bar on higher ed videos and see how uh, doable they are. They could be good tips. I don't know. The the only thing I took issue with was this. Uh, Where's this line about? <clears throat> The, why are higher education videos so still so achingly dull? That's can, a good question. Can question we blame mark. people for not watching them? I don't think that's true. This is a good. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm on board with the premise of this article so far. Yeah. Okay. Well, th- it starts today's higher education marketing is increasingly strategic. We have data-driven decision-making, sophisticated branding campaigns, and advanced social media analytics. Already, Frank is. I'm on board. Frank agrees with the premise. You, could, you could do data analytic driven college videos, like just appeal to people that like love hot pockets, just like a yeah. month of videos about just like hot pockets and like uh, Xbox. I read a good quote today. It was uh, when you, this was about graphic design, but it's similar. When you uh, let data and metrics guide your design process, you can only you can only optimize like one thing at a time right because you can only a b test like one thing one thing at a time pretty Mm -hmm. much so that's the way it works right so like i can only test where putting the buy button on the web page gets the most clicks right and then you can only test what color banner on the side gets mm-hmm. people to stay on the page the longest right. right so you end up with this frankenstein of like weird like data driven decisions and it, like everything just looks like this hodgepodge of like insanity and by the time i think you're you've been you've gone through the the list of things to a b test you have to go back to the beginning <laughs> and it's like oh yeah with the tr- the trend that's the the there's a different yeah. trend. I don't know. So people, you're saying, people are looking for like these like objective ways to say what's good and what's bad, but then you lose like all the you lose your you lose the forest from the trees for it. So like I think that's how you end up with like a social media meeting where like just like just crazy stuff. Like just crazy stuff. And no one just steps back and think like, what are we doing? Yeah, like, well, this got the most clicks and most likes. No, but, like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, like, if you were an outsider and stepped in here, like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. I got a picture text message of a whiteboard that looked exactly like what Perez Hilton's diary might look like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we might have to cut this stuff out. That might have to go. <laughs> but um, let's just get into the list. Okay, so the first, so here are some tips on how to make your videos stand out and be noticed. Tell a story. Yeah, good. That's a good one. I'm I'm on board with this whole thing so far. All right, so this might actually be useful. Instead of snarky, which I was probably my (laughs) intention. All right, uh, I'm 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 starting to come around. Maybe uh, this uh, consultant and visual storyteller has has helpful, useful information. Um, I, I what I will take issue with is that's the hardest thing, and and that's the thing that people that term that people throw around like. If a, if a human being is in front of the camera in some way, that storytelling is happening. And that is just, mm-hmm. or I, I don't know what the criteria is when, when a marketing consultant says storytelling. I think they're thinking about different things. I don't know. If you read the paragraph under okay. it, okay. it says, uh, 
who's the best person to tell your story. Chances are that person is not the university president or lead donor for your new science center. Oh, that's something we, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I just think it's really hard, I guess. That's like the- uh, Also, I say this all the time, we need to specify between story, like narrative and marketing, right? Like, so when we're like, shooting like a commercial video people talking about the narrative of like what do we say first and then what message comes second and then what message comes third. Mm-hmm. like that's not a story right right so like, let's be clear about what a story is this happened and then this happened and then this happened but then that happened and then that other thing happened because of this thing happening right. and right. now we're somewhere else than from where we started from like right. that's a story and usually there's conflict yeah and i right. can tell you a story about what i ate right. for breakfast this morning but I can't like tell you a story about the mission of the universe. Like that's that's not a story. Right. It's right. Yeah, and there are other like even more like sophisticated. Like there's the way to group it. So there's a beginning and then there's a middle. And then the, traditionally stories have those three elements too, and they usually have a main character and some conflict and all those other things. So okay, yeah, tell a story, but just know that. It's not. It's easier said than done, and I think the second piece of it involve viewers emotionally. That's that's really hard. So, yeah, that should be your objective when when storytelling is the thing you're trying to do. Well, think about like, is this something I would just tell at a at a party that I'm at if I'm sitting there standing around with beers with my friends? Is this something I would tell to them? If it's not, then it's probably not going to be worth clicking on. Right. Lead with the good stuff. Uh, acknowledging short attention spans and and getting right to the point and dazzling right off the bat that's certainly become a trend yeah uh she, she's not into these spinning logos <laughs> <laughs> see i i take qualm with that because i like making the spinning logos that eat up viewer time put you out of a job yeah i think this list is thinking a little less deeply about this than we are i think the point is uh don't start the video with 10 seconds of logo like that's <laughs> i've seen that happen oh like, yeah that's, that's, that's... i think that's what we're getting at a little less story structure and more like yeah we know who it's from it right. says it on the web page right like, right you don't have to put your logo up front mm-hmm. i think that's the point of this yeah. point well people are still doing the bumper thing and i got it i don't know like yeah on a facebook feed it's pr- you're wasting time but mm-hmm. It's if the it's thing with the whole product, the product is not the video. The product is like the web page that the video is in. So your logo is probably on it somewhere already. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the bumper thing is for if you're sending it around the universe or sending it out to somewhere where it might be taken out of context. Like we often does like that really happen? On it. Like that happens. In, like the bumper came know. from the TV world, right? And the TV yeah. is just a black box in your living room. There's mm-hmm. nothing around it. Yeah. I think feel like we only have time to do the first two. Maybe we should just we mm-hmm. should shelve this for a later episode. Let's get right to the let's get to the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, all this stuff seems fine. You yeah. thought we were gonna be snarky about it, but yeah, know, it seems look at that. Good to me. <laughs> okay, then I'll just burn through the list, and we'll it will like take it as good. It's all good advice. So show something we haven't seen before. Use natural sound. Focus the story. Provide a strong ending do those things and you will have raised the bar on your higher ed video. All right, one point from this, if you find something that's actually a good story to make a video about, all these things will happen naturally. If you're forcing something, a story that shouldn't be made into a video, then all these things are gonna be really difficult. Yeah, um, I wanted to talk to uh, an old colleague of mine who um, used to work here at Northeastern because so often the interview is the video, right? Like it's. You, when you're when you're scripting and planning out the video, it's like, well, we're going to interview three people, and they're going to be our characters, and we're going to use that stuff to build the story. So it makes sense then to figure out the best way to get all the stuff that will make your story. And I don't I don't know as if we think of, if we think about that enough. So yeah, I mean, like in this style of corporate video, like kind of faux documentary, yeah, it's the interview is the video like most of the time right but even the stuff even the like real documentary stuff yeah that's all interview too yeah unless you're there as it's happening but that's very rarely the case right so either way whether you're doing something real or you're doing something corporate and uh docuganda style 
you got you have to know how to interview people and yeah it's it, it can be intuitive but i think there are ways to get better and so i, I talk like it's hard to you think about from their perspective too it's hard to be on camera like we had to redo stuff just now just talking to the podcast we do this all the time right yeah. so like just think about like some dean of some school like has never been on camera before right. it's gonna be nervous right. they're gonna be stumbling right. like, it's just it's difficult well it's a good point because we, we we talk about that you know how to how to how to get people in the right frame of mind to engage in meaningful conversation and potentially you know access real emotions and memories and you know what i think the key to that is <laughs> what just share a, a moment of deep embarrassment right, right off, off the, the bat with them have you ever interviewed somebody no but i just find that it works <laughs> at parties <laughs> <laughs> so what would be your thing what like do you deep and one time i high-fived my boyfriend's dad by accident at his <laughs> college graduation it was weird he was trying to high five his sister oh, and I got this mistaken. Girl Scout right. camp anxiety because when I see the hand oh, in front yeah. of me, I'm like, something's got to happen. You got to touch or it has to go away. So I just, I high fived it, but it was for his sister who was next to me. And then he just silently sat down and then his whole family was just his entire graduation. Yeah. What? shameful that i just, just yeah should have interviewed him about it just there he right would there. have been like yeah if you were sitting here be like i uh the perfect I, interview would have happened <laughs> yeah after that i wish he didn't do that yeah okay. so talking to mike mazandi he's a video producer at the university of colorado health uh, in denver and um, he's really good at the interview just to get a little like historic and nostalgic we used to we used to work together it was, it was your first experience in, in higher ed video was uh was at northeastern university yeah you were actually uh the first person that ever hired me for video i mean i, I was working at a bar i think on the street and i made a like a soccer video right I, <laughs> like, yeah your your real <laughs> your reel was a little thin i think uh yeah. to be cut <laughs> but you saw kindly. something there was something clearly there was something because it was um good looks. Yeah, it was good looks i think what i recognized very quickly is that you, uh, you know, above just, I think, being a, <clears throat> a sort of a natural storyteller and, and, uh, and, then, and then having all this sort of the, the aptitude for, for the, the technical stuff, like you were, you were a genuinely curious person, which made you a really good interviewer. And I thought to that point that I was a really good interviewer without having given it any thought really, like to, to um, that you really needed any sort of special skill or you need, you need to really work on it. But what I realized um, was that you were better than me at it and that they're, you know, like by observing other people who do it well are way opportunities to improve. Why do you think, why do you think you're good at interviewing? Well, I, I think I appreciate that. I think, I think the number one thing is that I'm a good listener. I think that's probably the biggest quality that you have to have if you're going to interview somebody you have to be able to listen. You have to, you know, be able to make eye contact. You can't act like you're thinking about other things. You have to act enthusiastic with what they're saying. Um, and, and not many people have that ability to listen. A lot of people um, want to talk about themselves, or if you say something, it automatically triggers something in my mind where I'm thinking about a uh, scenario that happened in my own life, rather than listening to what you're saying. So it's it's the ability to sit down and listen for long stretches of time and actually be interested in the person that you're you're talking to um and 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 also you have to be able to visualize where you want this story to go while you're sitting there and your whole your whole strategy is to try to guide them i feel toward certain sections uh different conversational paths that you're hoping you can take them down. Mm. And, uh, I mean, when I, I, I've always been told I, I'm good with people, but I, that didn't really translate necessarily into being a good interviewer. I remember when I first started, I, I was horrible at it. I mean, it, it definitely took practice. I would stick too much to the script as, as opposed to feeling confident enough to just put the questions away and, and have a conversation with it. I remember one time watching you interview, and you showed up to the interview without even a paper or pen or anything. You just sat there, and I thought that was so cool. You were just able to, you just knew the material, and you were just able to have a conversation with somebody. 
And I think that uh, from that moment on, I felt, you know, I got to relax a little bit more mm. and not be afraid to go mm. off script. Do you still go to interviews without a piece of paper? Uh, yes, but usually just as a product of just lack of preparation, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which I'm sure it was in that yeah. instance. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think what's interesting is that, and 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 I want you to talk a little bit about what your different experiences have been in 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 higher ed because you've got you got a couple different you've been in a couple of different um, roles at a couple of very different institutions but it seems like a common thread and why I think this is a really good topic is that you have to do a lot of interviews and it's, it, it's the you most know, underrated uh, part of video production interviews are so important I mean it's it's the heart of every story is conducting good interviews because you, you can know how to work a camera, you can know how to edit, you can know how to do special effects. And that stuff's um, all, that, and I should say that's that's all stuff that usually is in the job description. It's if, job you're, description. if you're applying for the job, it's in the, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's in the qualifications, but it's rare that that other thing that just so happens to be one of the most important things isn't really considered as an essential quality. I think it's the most. I think it's. I think it's one of the most important things by far. I've never had the best equipment. Any job I've been at, I've always had. You know, no budget to buy anything that is fancy. You know, um, but the reason that I think my videos and my stories have been able to resonate with people is because I come back with such rich content from the interview. Um, and, and I'm, like I say, none of my stuff has a lot of bells and whistles. I'm by far not the best shooter or editor or anything, but as an interview, I've really, really, really tried to improve um, and study the art of interviewing because I feel like, you know, if you come back with content that, you know, brings out emotion in people, if you get people to say certain sound bites or, you know, someone shed a tear when they're reflecting on a powerful moment in their life, um, you, you, you can you have a lot of options of what to do with that kind of stuff, and, and I think that's rarely do you get hired when, when you get hired for a video production job. Do people ask you about your interviewing skills? I think I, I mean here's my theory. I think it's something that everybody assumes that they they can just do. Like it's one of those like. Um, Anybody could do that part. Anybody could. Uh, whoever sits in that chair will give them a list of questions. They'll do the. Right, right. Uh, they'll do the interview. So that's not really important. We'll, we'll, that's that's one of those things that we'll deal with after the fact. If um, if it, if it turns out that this person has no, um, you know, doesn't have the ability to sit uh, sit opposite someone else and get them to open up or express themselves or articulate a certain point. Um, mm -hmm. But is that true? I mean, is it true that that this is something that any anyone can do well without, you know, without giving it much thought? Not at all. I mean, I think it's a skill that, I mean, it's, it makes or breaks your video. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think a computer could read the questions one, question two, question three, question four, but it's going to, you're not going to have a natural conversation and the person's not going to feel comfortable and not open. You need to know when to, to press, when to back off. You need to look at for little nuances and the way they say things. You need to be able to capitalize. You can't just sit there and read questions down the list. It's just, it's not going to work. Uh, let's talk a little nuts and bolts here because I think, you know, part of being good at it is, you know, like anything, is is, is preparation. Yeah, how do you prepare for it? Let's say you got a day. You know, what, what do you do? Well, I really think I'm a big believer that the more you plan uh, for an interview, the more likely that the interview is not going to go according to plan. But, you know, not going according to plan is good. I mean, you're not there to, to ask questions that you already know the answers to. But, um, you know, I think you need to have prepar you, you need to prepare. You need to know the, mat the subject matter, but you also need to be um, extremely flexible. When do, you, when do you feel like you're prepared? Because I think, I think you're absolutely right. Is there a moment where you feel like, all right, I got this, I'm good? Know your subject thoroughly and then just trust the rest to luck. I mean, if you know, if you know, like I'm doing a story right now on the chef. He was a world-renowned chef that um, uh, Julia Childs actually named him one of the top chefs in the country uh, in, in the 80s. He owns a couple of restaurants here in Colorado, and he suffered a massive stroke that left him paralyzed. I mean, he could, all he could do was blink. One blink for yes, two blinks for no. Um, and he's, he's slowly been recovering from the stroke where he's regaining movement in, in his arms and his legs. Um, completely motivated 
by the fact that he is determined to walk his daughter down the aisle on her wedding day. Hmm. So I, I felt, okay, I have this chef who became a world-class chef in the culinary world. And I, and I got this guy also that is recovering from the stroke. Now, there has to be some kind of similarities or, um, you know, similarities in determination or commitment that it must have taken to become a world-class chef uh, and the same kind of grit that must have taken to recover from, from the stroke. And so I try, I, I try to figure out how hard is it to become a chef? What are some of the things that he must have had to go through? I, I read on the, online uh, about his career, different articles he's given, other interviews, what's his favorite thing to cook, you know, like how hard, you know, how many restaurants had failed before he uh, opened up the two that are successful here in Colorado. Um, I try to learn everything about him from a culinary perspective and then try to apply that to the amount of perseverance, determination, and grit it must have taken to day by day learn to move your body again. And, and, so, and then, oh, go ahead. And yeah, and I'm not, you know, I, I'm just. So questions will will come to mind that I'll write down. I definitely want to ask him this. I definitely want to ask him that. But I mean, how curious would you be? Also, I mean, the other part of me, I'm just sitting there, starstruck in awe of this man who's able to do these amazing things, and I want to know more about it. How how is he able to do that? What are the similarities, uh, you know, between those those two things? What, how does he not get discouraged? What's, what's his day like when he wakes up in the morning and he can't, you know, get out of bed? I mean, what's there's got to be an irony there for a guy that spent his whole life as a chef to facing the possibility that he's never going to be able to chew or taste food again or swallow. I mean, those are all just things that, you know, are coming to mind off the top of my head. And so you've not yet interviewed this this uh, this subject. Tomorrow. This is happening tomorrow. And do you it's happening feel, tomorrow. Are you, at the, are you at the point yet? This is great. Are you at the point yet where you feel like, I'm ready? Um, do you have, do, do you, have uh, you know, a, a short list of questions? You, like, what, what are you going to, what more work do you have to sort of do now? So, yeah, I, I, I'm not ready yet. Probably tonight. Um because, you know, we procrastinate all, all yeah. the time. So probably tonight I'll um, fine-tune some, some questions, and I will have a sheet of questions in front of me, absolutely, you know, um, but I won't stick to them in order. You know, if he, if, he, if he gives me an answer for my first question, and part of that answer contains an answer that is for question four on my list, I'm not going to kill that momentum mid-interview by okay, going go back, back to, to number two. two. Yeah, right, right. right. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to capitalize on his enthusiasm or his thought process, a natural conversation, and continue down that pathway of, of, uh, of his thought, you know? And, and I, re- I rarely go back to the list, so, uh, so I will have a list. So you don't, check off, you don't check off number four? Absolutely. And why is that? Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, is it that your perception of, of the story has changed? Like the story is evolving because I think when you when you create qu- a list of questions, it's you're you're sort of predetermining how the the story is going to go, and that's why I'm going to start here and I'm going to end here and hear all the things in between. But then once you start having a conversation and the, the the story is literally it seems like being created during the conversation. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said about being you know about being flexible. Um, you have to just. Uh, welcome the moments that you're going to get taken down these pathways that you weren't even planning for. Definitely, if there's something that we haven't covered that I feel is important to the story, um, then, I'll, then I'll, I'll ask the question. I mean, I don't have a problem going back and asking the question. Um, you know, excuse me let, me, let me go back to my list and make sure I've covered everything. I don't mind doing that at all. But I, 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 I just think that sometimes the conversation gets taken to another place where every time I hear something that works in the video, I'm like, oh, wow. You know, for instance, there was um, I'm doing a, I'm doing a pre I'm doing a story on a guy with uh, Parkinson's, and he had um, he couldn't he, he had tremors and he couldn't stand uh, excruciating pain in his feet, and he loves to weld. He makes welding. He makes statues in his in his garage, and um, he loves to ride his bike, and he loves sunrise. And I'm having a conversation with him on the phone, just a pre-interview. That's part of my preparation as well, is to talk to somebody on the phone before, just to go over on a broad scale.
scale, what their story is, what, you know, he would experience pain. Then he had this deep brain stimulation surgery, and now he's back to doing the welding. He's back to riding his bike. He wakes up early in the morning to enjoy sunset. And I'm talking to him, I'm thinking, this is great. I imagine the sparks flying when I'm filming and welding, um, you know, riding his bike through the neighborhood. I imagine him getting up in the morning, making coffee as the sun's rising. These are all great things. And then before I get off the phone with him, I'm like, you know, is there anything else that I haven't asked you um, pertaining to your story that you think would make uh, for good video? And, he's, and it's a pause, and he goes, I can dance again now. Oh, wow. And I thought, wow, what do you mean you can dance again? He's like, me and my wife can finally, you know, dance again because I can stand. Hmm. And I thought, okay, now my story is just, I don't even care about the sparks in the welding. That's all cool. But now I just want the video to end with him and his wife slow dancing somewhere in the house because he got his, he can weld again. He can do his hobbies. He can ride his bike. He, his anxiety is down, but he can dance with his wife now again. Mm. And that just took a complete left turn for me, but it, was, it opened up a whole new story. And I, that's what I'm talking about being flexible. I wasn't pounding the welding and the bike riding, and this is our story. But I was just flexible enough to let him open my mind to a whole other possibility of where to take this story. Staying in this vein of preparation, you know, you mentioned the pre-interview. You discovered this sort of spontaneous, but I think by luck, because it's, you know, it, it was a, I, I, you know, nine times out of ten for me, that, that question of, well, well, is there anything I haven't covered? Especially when mm -hmm. we're doing it on camera, people are so anxious to either get off the yeah, phone well, or just get like, yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah, that, that's it. it. That's good cover. Yeah. And he shared that with you, I think, is interesting. Um, the thing I worry about with pre-interviews, and sometimes I do and sometimes I don't, is that you lose that spontaneity or the way they said it on the phone or in the, your first meeting isn't going to be as good as the way they shared it with you Um well, I don't, even, I don't want them to share anything with me. I so just want to know. It's just I can dance that. again. All right, all right, good. I just want to, yeah, I don't want, I'm not, gonna, I'm not asking them any more questions except, oh, so your feet hurt. Before you had the surgery, now they feel that. Oh, oh, so you ride your bike. Okay, great. You know, just, for, I just want to know about this guy, you know, so I can craft questions. I mean, I kind of knew the gist of his story, but I didn't know anything from his mouth of, you know, uh, what his story entailed. I, sometimes I don't do pre-interviews. I can go either way, but um, if I can, and it's it's a really broad, I mean, just summarize. I don't even want you to get in depth of, with, of anything in your story. I just want to know who, what, when, where, why. Talk a little bit about you know what your role is. I mean, so so you went from Northeastern to um, Harvard School of Public Health, where you, you were doing, I think, you know, similar type of work in in that you're you're interviewing people and. Uh, I mean, it's from what I understand from you, there wasn't much like other stuff to get in that building or other, otherwise. So it's like the interview was even oh. even more important. Um, but now you're working for University of Colorado Health. UC Health, yeah. UC Colorado. Health, yeah. where, yeah. Um, you know, there's certainly an academic component for the most part. You're telling really raw patient stories. So you need people to talk about really sensitive things so you need people to you know open up to you and i which i think is why you're a great person to talk to on this subject um has your approach how has your approach evolved as you have gone from like you know maybe talking more yeah it's, it's, at times you know you're talking to students about really frivolous things like what your Halloween costume is going to be, and now you know probably you probably wouldn't even think of that as a, a subject matter. Um, yeah, I mean the heavy stuff has always been my passion. You know, I could do the the, the fun funny stuff too, but we, we you know we're the official healthcare sponsor of the Broncos and the Rockies and the Avalanche and the Nuggets. Um, but if given the choice between doing a fun video for the Broncos with Peyton Manning or telling the story on the chef who is overcoming a stroke so he could walk his daughter on the aisle, I'll always pick the, the chef. Mm. I like those I like those type of stories better. I feel comfortable in that zone. Um, I like when people trust me to tell their story. I mean, I think there's an art to getting people to open up to you. You're right, they're talking about the worst parts of their life. I mean, people go to hospitals because they were in car accidents or because they had heart attacks or because they have cancer and they need to open up to you and, and relive those moments. And it is tough. 
A lot of people love to do it because it raises awareness for their cause. Most people that, you know, have cancer or have had a heart attack or some health issue, testicular cancer, we just did a story on a kid who's 19, he's extremely camera shy, and one of the only ways he would do this is if we present, when we were presenting this to him, was if we presented it like it's going to help raise awareness for other people to go get checked or to not be embarrassed to go to the doctor. And then he was all in. Um, a lot of people are just willing to share their story in general, you know. Um, and it, it, it depends all how you, you, you pitch it to them. You know, you don't pitch it to them like, you know, this is for marketing and promotion and we're kind of exploiting this story so we get more likes on our Facebook page. But we're really, we really are, you know, whenever I make these videos, I make it less about us and more about the patient. I mean, they're the protagonists of the story. I think one of the biggest black holes that, that businesses fall into is um, they make themselves the protagonist. So I think I was telling you that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a member of this uh, Facebook group for university video producers, and I um, I actually did uh, create a list of questions for you, and I, I shared those on, on in the Facebook group and just that we we're going to have this conversation about interviewing, and it actually did generate a lot of, um, discussion, discussion more than questions, but there were a couple questions. And this first one, I think, relates to this process of, all right, you're prepared for the interview, um, you got all the equipment set up, which we can talk a little bit about that too, maybe a little bit later. But um, you know, you're in the location. How much of a role does that have to play? But I'm, I'm curious. And uh, this, act this question actually came from Randy Walk, who's a the the one and only independent producer, uh, video producer at one of the biggest universities in the in, in the country, uh, the Ohio State University. So Randy Walk asks. Oh wow. Yeah, um, and he's I think he he actually he was on the podcast before and he talked a little bit about this, but. Um, I think hearing other people's approaches is really, you know, helpful and useful. So I, how do you make your subject forget about the camera? How do you make sure the interview is a conversation and not an interrogation? So that's Randy's question, I think, particularly for you who, you know, you're dealing with very sensitive subject matter. You know, you, you might have someone who's already feels like kind of uh, exposed and vulnerable. How do you make sure you don't get, you know, they don't sort of clam up or, or withdraw how, how do you pull them in? How do you make them feel comfortable? How do you get them to share? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, that's one of the hardest roadblocks that we run into as interviewers is getting somebody in front of the camera that's extremely self-conscious and scripted and, um, you know, nervous and just can't put thoughts together, you know, rambling answers. Um, I, I just, I don't think there's a, one way to go about it. I always, I always tell um, my subjects, like, just, this is just a conversation between us. It's not live. You know, we're just having a conversation. If you want to start an answer over, feel free to start over. Um, don't put any pressure on yourself. I've tried everything. I've, told, I've tried, I've, I've even gone to the point of telling the subject that I'm nervous too. <laughs> you know, just so it feels like we're on the same page. You know, um, again, I think a lot of that, if you have the opportunity to talk to them beforehand on the phone interview and, and they trust you, they, you lay the foundation of trust. I think that helps. Um, well, you know, sometimes sometimes I go to interview somebody in their office or in their, wherever their location is, and I, I just look around their office. I mean, it's kind of an obvious answer, but find something that, you know, a picture of somebody that they have on their wall. Or I remember there's one um, chemist that I interviewed at Harvard. He was so nervous, and I was interviewing him in his lab, and as I'm setting up the lights and the camera, I could just see, crap, this is going to suck, you know, barely even able to have a conversation with me and I'm, I haven't even hit record yet. He just got nervous seeing the lights and the camera and everything. Mm. And I look over at his uh, station and there's boxing gloves hanging above his computer. I love boxing. And this was lucky. Mm. So I started talking to him about boxing and he kind of lit up because I could go into deep conversation about boxing, not just on the surface. Like I was talking about current fighters, <laughs> you know, the current situation with the heavyweight division and all this kind of stuff. And he just loved it and he was eating it up and he... We didn't have anybody to talk to in that lab, I'm sure, about the sport of boxing. Um, but it saved me because he, he just all of a sudden uh, loosened up. And, you know, once he knew I was a fan, he trusted me a little bit more. Um, That's awesome. I, so finding common ground then is, is, is great. Or, or, you know, as you were saying, just sort of make an observation and let them kind of 
run with it clearly if it's a personal thing it's on their in their in their office yeah they, no, they know something about it. Lap like that you know it's not just gonna fall like that was a rare situation i'm very lucky on my part right but some people and and you just have to learn that some people aren't good at giving interviews right i mean there's there's, there's only so much you can do you can I don't like to keep reminding people they're doing a good job. I don't like to keep putting it in the context of an interview. You know, I, I just want it to be a conversation. Um, hmm. I don't want them to think that they're... You're doing a great <laughs> job at talking. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and you know what? I probably have done that more often than I like to admit. Where like, you know what? This is just great. You're doing just great. Like, and that's fine. Sometimes down the end, like, by the way, this interview is going great. I only have a couple more questions. I'll do that, but I'm not yeah. going to be like, oh, calm down. You're doing absolutely fine. This is yeah, great. You know, relax. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do that because it, the more you the more you bring up the fact that yeah. they're conducting the interview, the more they think about it. Yeah, and the more you reassure them, I'm sure the more they feel like suspicious that why are you reassuring me? Do I feel like I do I look like I need to be reassured, or am I? Yeah, and then then the wheels start spinning. Like yeah, just, you just want to do anything you can to not intrude on candor. It's the heart of your interview. I mean. A good example. My uh, when I did I did a story on a um, nine year old with lymphoma. Mm -hmm. Wonderful girl. Yeah, she was awesome. Beautiful, very articulate. I mean, I was so surprised with her. But she and her family were a little nervous beforehand. Um, it just it, it was a tough part of my life. My sister was fighting lymphoma at the exact same time. Oh. So when I went to that interview. I mentioned that while I'm setting things up that my sister's going through lymphoma, and I knew how complicated all the terminology was that they were hearing at the hospital. You know how brand new this whole thing was, how scary it was, and I was telling them about my own experiences as I'm setting up, and just for them to hear that you know I wasn't just some outsider coming in that didn't know anything about you know, the situation, and they, you know, they just I, I was almost part of the family by the time the interview started, mm. and by the time I, you know it was time for them to speak, they were willing to tell me their story because I was more of a friend. And and, and I'll, I, th I think it's a, that's an excellent example. And it's, and, and the video's incredible. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to include that in the show notes. It, it's, it's also, uh, an, an Emmy, uh, award-winning video. So, uh, uh congratu congratulations <laughs> on that. Um, Thank you. But I think I think you raise a good point because you you, don't, you won't always have that really personal connection, you know, the boxing story, the lymphoma story. But I think the more research that you do, you can be intentional about like that conversation you're going to have with your subject beforehand to warm them up, do your research, learn about them. What what where is the common ground? You know, like that's um, mm -hmm. it's something I, you know. Like I I don't think I've ever really thought of until this conversation it's like, it's like you sort of fish i think when you're setting up equipment or whatever yeah have. you have to do every trick in the book to make them feel you know make them as comfortable as possible i don't even interrupt i mean if they go long on an answer then eventually there comes a point where i have to just okay I, you know i don't care how many relatives you saw at your last family reunion you know but i don't i rarely interrupt because then i don't want to break the momentum of them feeling comfortable hmm. you know i don't want i don't want to ever discourage them from just being open and completely free to just express themselves i know a lot of times it's a time crunch and you have to just interrupt them and just right. stay on course stay on course okay you're getting too far but even in long-winded answers sometimes at the end of a long-winded answer i'll get something that i can use for the story right well, you know, I have the luxury of having an editor that if I give them a four hour interview, you know, it's like, yeah. it's like, yeah, it was great. We talked for four hours. I, we, I learned a lot about this person. And it, yeah, I good mean, luck logging that. Yeah, have, have fun with that. But I think part of that, too, is like it's not all I mean, especially if this is the first time you're you're talking to somebody or or you don't have that background information. And you're really like just, you know, you're trying to mine them for everything. I think the longer the conversation, the more you learn, the more informs the next question and the next question. So. Uh, I, you know, I think cutting someone off also limits your ability to have the insight it takes to ask a really good follow-up. So, you know, they might veer off course, but they might give you something that, you know, you can put together later to ask, you know, to get to the, the core of something. So I think that's, 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 that's another reason sort of why to not 
feel that pressure. But I think in order to do that, and maybe I want to, this is a, a good time to talk a little bit about logistics. You got to make sure you have enough time. You know, you, you, you don't book, you don't book a family, you know, with a, with a nine-year-old, uh, you know, daughter who has lymphoma for a half an hour, you know? Right. So, so talk a little bit about, um, you know, creating the mood. Yeah, and and, so, and part of that is time, like the time you allow, the the, the location that you're in, um, where the where the camera is, and where you're sitting in relationship to the camera. All those things that I think, um, you know, lead to the best possible uh, dynamic. Well, yeah, you know, location. Sometimes they're in a place you're interviewing them in their office. They're comfortable there, or you know, I'm. I'm no one really ever comes to me. I always go to them. So, you know, in their home or whatever, they're comfortable. So that automatically gives them a little sense of comfort. Um, but you're also but thinking as a producer, though, it's like the thing's got to look good, right? It's got to look good, yeah. I think location is one of the most important things with, with the interview also is because, you you know, if, if I'm interviewing a surgeon, I don't want him, you know, in a kitchen. <laughs> right. You know, I want him in the OR and scrubs with a surgical mask over his head um if i'm interviewing a gymnast you know i want her with a balance beam in the background i mean for the most part you're doing like you're, where you're sitting to camera left or camera right and the eye line is you and i mean asking people to like to look directly into the camera for their answers it's like you know like you position yourself in a, in a do you position yourself in a in a place where um you know they it it, it facilitates that sort of forgetting where the about the camera a lot i think a lot of nonverbal communication there's a lot of things you can do without saying something that makes people um comfortable or excited to talk lean forward in your chair repeat the words that they say mm. with the intention of having them elaborate mm-hmm. they they feel com- they, they feel confident now that they just said something that interests me a lot mm. and now they're going to elaborate even more mm. You know, make them feel confident, like they're giving great answers, not by saying, you're doing a great job, but actually I'm inter- interested by little, little, little cues that you can give them during the interview, you know, that make them feel, oh, this is going great. Little cues that you can give in an interview. Mm. Yeah, how non-verbal that, cues. How is that? Oh, I was, I was trying it out. I was trying to <laughs> repeat here. <laughs> Did that work? That was great, man. That's, uh, yeah, I, felt, <laughs> I felt like the king of the world right there. <laughs> I, so is, do you think that there's a big difference between, and because I, I think this is something that people in higher ed have to deal with a lot. So you got, I mean, I think the um, ultimately the human interest story, the, the subject that's not uh, an expert or a, or a high profile person within the university, those, those are the hard ones. The, the, like the student, the, you know, the alum story, like those are the, those are sort of the easy you know, easy human interaction. You just, you can just sort of show up and have a conversation a little bit easier than if you're walking into a lab or a doctor's office and having a more of a technical conversation as your preparation for those and, and your uh, sort of approach in the interview. How about if, you, how about, how about if you're uh, thrown into a situation where you're interviewing Elton John Oh yeah, and you didn't even know you were going to be interviewing us. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that story. That's a great story. Talk about zero preparation for an interview ever. It was. I'll make it short. That um, I was for Harvard uh, School of Public Health was presenting Elton John with an award, so we, I had to go to New York to, to interview him. I was given nine minutes, strictly nine minutes. It took six months to 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 get Elton John to agree to do this interview. So I show up there early to set up in this room at one of the galas that he's throwing to where we're presenting with an award. I get there and there's like a Russian documentary crew that's also setting up in the same space. And Elton John uh, kept us waiting for about three hours. Um, and then he wasn't going to do either of the interviews. And then he kept, uh, his assistant comes back an hour later and says, well, you know, he's decided he's just going to do the interviews for the documentary. So I mean, I, I'm not going to able, I'm not able to interview Elton John from, for Harvard. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I'm unpacking my stuff. The producer is so upset that we had been waiting for so long that he, um, of the Russian documentary crew, he goes outside to smoke a cigarette. As he's outside smoking a cigarette, Elton John bursts through the doors in a shiny tuxedo with, like, glitter red shoes like Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz and sunglasses on with red lenses. 
and just sits down in a chair. And the cameraman, who can barely speak English, just slams a paper in my chest and says, you have to conduct this interview. A <laughs> producer is outside smoking a cigarette. Mm. I don't even know what the hell this documentary is about. I had no idea what. <laughs> I just blacked out. Next thing I know, I'm sitting in a chair, touching knees with Elton John, and he's staring at me. He's got people doing his makeup, his hair. The lights go on, and we're rolling. Was your first question, can you please take off your sunglasses? <laughs> because I had to interview. I, you were there with me. I was there. I, I was interviewing uh, LL Cool J. And yeah. the, the first thing I asked him to do was take, do you mind taking your sunglasses off? He's like, no, man, I'm cool. No, I'm uh, chilling. I'm, I'm chilling. chilling. I'm good. I'm so, uh, I was like, <laughs> and then it, it immediately hit me. He's like, I, I just asked a man who's like basically always wears shades to take his glasses off. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. Yeah, and, and his glasses were mirrors. I remember oh, yeah. you could see oh, ourselves yeah. in it. <laughs> yeah, a big soft box and his giant sunglasses. Oh, it was well, fine, though. I mean, like, he was... He, he, he was great. He was actually... Uh, how was Elton? I mean, was that was it a good interview? Well, from what I remember, I mean, I the first time I ever saw the questions, I was actually reading them out loud to Elton John. I didn't even know, do I call him Elton or Mr. John or... Sir Elton, you know, I'm reading, it's about, it was about adoption, um, something about adoption, I think, and, I, and I, I, you know what I did? I read the first question to him just because I didn't even know what the documentary was about, like I said. <laughs> and so then uh, he answered the question, and it was a great answer. I mean, he, and then I just didn't ask any, <laughs> I didn't ask any other questions on the sheet of paper. You just, just started talking. I just had a conversation with him after that. Oh, but man. afterwards, they said it was great. I mean, the, the producer came back in as I'm conducting this interview, and I just saw it from his body language out of the corner of my eye. He just could not believe he had missed oh, this yeah. opportunity. But, then he, but I saved. I mean, it was, I just jumped in and saved the, the documentary. Do you have, like, a go-to, like, first question, or is there anything? No. Do you want to get right to the point? I, yeah, it's not getting to the point. I think the point is the big emotional climax that I'm working toward. I would never ask those questions first. Right. But... You know, the small talk and stuff is either when I'm setting up or maybe we're still talking when we first sit down. But once the interview goes, I mean, I, I, I start to, let's let's start chipping away at the story. Yeah. But I don't ask the hard hitting emotional questions right up front. I want to build toward those. Mm-hmm. But I don't, you know, I don't feel unless you know the person's extremely nervous. Do I start asking questions that are irrelevant to the story? Just things to loosen them up but otherwise it's let's just let's do this when the subject is a doctor or researcher h- how do you feel like do you handle complicated subject matter any differently than you do just like when you're when you're looking for like a more raw motion or more you know traditional narrative yeah i just tell them what's the easiest way to explain his injury because mm. that's usually what it is it's just like you're never, yeah okay and then and then um i, I just want the just, I don't want technical terms. I just want you to tell me they had a fracture or she had cancer that had spread from here to here or, you know, he was paralyzed from his stroke and we weren't sure if we operated on him if he was going to wake up. You know, I don't, you know, you can go to the website if you want more information, but this is purely, um, you're a doctor, I just need to know as if you're explaining this to, you know, your kid, what happened to this person? I will ask them to talk about their thoughts on the patient, you know. I always think that's great for a doctor um, who handles trauma all day, every day, let's say, to give me your take. You spend a lot of time with Devin. I wonder what it is you want people to know about her. Mm. You know, and then, and then they kind of go off cuff of how remarkable they think her spirit is and her strength is and to overcome something like this is, you know, medically I've never seen anything like it before, you know, stuff like that. Or I might say, you know, I interviewed Devin and she said um, how grateful she was for, for all the things he did for her and her family. Um, I wonder what what you have to say about her. What What it is you want people to know about her? You know, you know stuff like that. That's a great way to get somebody to be really specific. You know, I, I think, and I, and I actually learned this from, from a friend of mine I went to film school with who now works for uh, George Lucas's company, Edutopia. He interviews a lot of high school students. And I'd forgotten, like, how difficult it is to get 
kids to talk, you know, to say mm-hmm. stuff and, and yeah. say stuff that's useful and finish the sentence. I'd never even thought about that, like using that as a technique. And I, I use it more. I did a story with this young lady with pulmonary hypertension. And I didn't even know what it was. It's like a condition that affects your lungs, you know, it's hard, makes it hard to breathe. And she gave me this answer that was so long-winded of, of you know, pulmonary hypertension and the, um, all the things she had to deal with, all the symptoms. And I just said, okay, how about this? I want you to help me imagine a world where I have pulmonary hypertension. So I want you to start these answers with imagine, and I'm going to give you a subject, and you you translate it into an imagine sentence, trying to get me to imagine. And she said, okay. And so I said, climbing a flight of stairs. And mm. she said, imagine you're climbing a flight of stairs, and when you get to the top, you're so dizzy that you fall over because you can't breathe. Wow. I said, great. I said, now playing sports. She said, Imagine you're on a sports team and you're running laps around the field and you can't keep up with everybody because you can't breathe. I said, great. And I just went with that for a little while. And that's actually how I opened the video. Mm. You know, get the, uh, you know, it, it was, a, it was, it wasn't like I'm putting words in her mouth, but I'm helping her think about her answers in another light. For, for to, to be as descriptive as possible for people like me who have no idea what it's like to live with pulmonary hypertension. And, and you, there's no way to prepare for that. You, didn't, you, you, you don't have that as sort of a, um, uh, you know, if, if these things don't work, I'll try that. You just, yeah, you just sort of have to be flexible. You have to trust your instincts. And, that, and that's something I wanted to get to. There's a couple more things. But um, when... This is fun, man. I'm, love, I'm loving this. You do a good job. Hey. You're doing great. You're Mike. You're doing great. You're doing a great job. A couple more questions, but you're doing great. Um, you you have to trust yourself. I think you have to trust yourself as one. If you're if it's just you and the camera that you actually set the thing up and you, you the thing's recording and the, you're getting good audio. So you know trust your technical abilities, but then trust yourself as a storyteller so that you know when you ball up that uh, the list of interview questions or you choose to ignore it for the rest of the time that what you're curious about, what you lead that person into talking to based on the things that pique your interest will translate. Because for the most part, and I think most people in higher ed can agree, unless they're doing like the the litany of talking head where they got nine people talking or um, you know, you're only really looking for one soundbite, your whole story is the interview. The 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 thing that you are using to give the, the your content for the beginning, middle and end it's all sitting right in front of you and it's your job to pull it out in some way. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's almost impossible to script that in advance. So you, so you have to trust your ability to, uh, your intuition, your, um, you know, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you this, but I'm going in, uh, we're going to go in a slightly different direction based on what you just said, that that's, that's the right way to go. That's why, it's it's so important, and it can't be um, it, it it can't be as overlooked as I feel it is, because if you don't yeah, I can't tell you how many times like you know working with other people uh, who are who are shoot, who are doing interviews now and saying do you have anything uh, where they're talking about and it's it's like no I don't have that it's like yeah, yeah no. I would have put that in there if I had <laughs> seriously, but uh, yeah I mean for better or for worse. You get that one shot, and that's your video. And I, you know, I, I think the, I think one of the things is I've been so heartbroken so many times going into an interview thinking this is what it this uh, this is exactly how it's going to look. This is the soundbite I'm going to get. This is the video is going to be great, and then it, I never get it, and then my dreams are crushed <laughs> about telling the story. So I, I you know, I, I kind of have an idea, but I, I like I say. I know my story, and I know as much as I can about the subject, but then I trust the rest of the luck and just being flexible in the moment. Uh, a, a, a gentleman who produced a video for Michigan State, I, I've never met the man or, or t- talked to him, so I might be mispronouncing his name, Ke- uh, Kevin Epling. Uh, yeah, you mispronouncing it. Epling. Yeah, Epling. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Kevin. Um, I, I thought he had a really good, uh, brought up a really good point in this Facebook conversation about um, <clears throat> about preparation and and getting people comfortable. He said, uh, I'm, I'm sort of 
boiling it down. I, I feel like the big takeaway was like, make goals, not questions. And, yeah, that's great. And I, I never actually like prepare goals, not questions. And actually, I never thought of it that way before. And I actually kind of try to even for, the, for this interview that you know, for this conversation we're having right now, I, I have interview questions. But in addition to that, I thought, well, what you know, what do I want out of this conversation? And because I think it's easier to know as as the conversation is going along, you know, are, are, am I am I learning something? Like that was one of my goals for this conversation, and I am. Um, you know, do I feel comfortable? Do you you know, is this a comfortable, casual conversation? It is. Like that's. So like just to have those sort of things in mind, you know, um, that, 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 you know, I don't know, that's, that's a sort of a different approach, which I, I think I'm, I'm going to apply that more often, or at least in, in, in conjunction with a couple of lead, lead, lead off questions. Yeah. And, and can I bring up another point? Sure. Um, one of the things that I don't think we've touched on yet, but that I feel is one of the most important parts of this whole process for anybody that does interviews is crafting a well-worded question. I think it's an art, and it's my, one of my favorite parts of what I do. Um, I'm, I'm, um, one of my favorite interviewers, uh, Charlie Rose. You ever heard of Charlie Rose? That name rings a bell. <laughs> I mean, that guy literally has a show where it's just him and a table that looks like it's in the basement of his grandfather's you know, house with a lamp, mm. and he interviews Hillary Clinton. He interviews the most, you know, politicians, movie stars. Everybody wants to go sit at this table with Charlie Rose. He asks the most brilliant questions that I've ever heard in my life. Whenever I watch those kind of shows, Charlie Rose, 60 Minutes, you know, Real Sports with Brian Gumbel is another one. I, I'm more focused on the interviewer and how they ask questions. Mm. And but Charlie Rose said, said something that stuck with me forever. He said, um, when someone asked him about, you know, asking good questions, he said the wind-up isn't as important as the pitch. Mm. And I thought that was so cool because a lot of times my questions were too long-winded when they didn't need to be. I would set my question up with too many sentences or phrases or thoughts when I really should have just asked the question. Mm. You know, can you tell me what that's like? You know, I didn't say, well, you know, you went through this, then you went through that, and I mean, that must have been hard. What was that like? Just can you tell me what that was like? Mm. What's at stake? Um, your mom to you means what? And, uh, and I want to share this too that I, I, I mentioned before that, that there's Larry. There's this great video of Larry King just actually just talking about his approach to interviewing, and and I think he's saying something similar in you know ask the easy questions. Uh, he you know he references going into the White House and interviewing Bill Clinton, and he just. He just looked out the window, Larry King, and says, "What do you think about when you look out the window there? You know, what do you, yeah, what's going yeah. through your mind?" And he said yeah. something like, "He said something like, I want to be out. I wonder what it's like out there. I want to be out there." And that's like, wow. I mean, that's your that's your interview right there. That's, 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 yeah. yeah, you just that's you don't you know you can throw away the questions after that. And you should also look down at your list of questions, and, and um, none of them should you should be able to answer with a yes or a no. Yeah, that's another that's another uh, you know art. It's hard to do. Sometimes you want you, you want to ask a question, and the only answer is they could they could only say yes or no, and that's fine. You never want them to have that as an option. I think my favorite question I ever heard in my life, um, Charlie Rose asked, he was interviewing a race car driver. I think it was Jimmy Johnson, or I think I can't remember that for sure, but he wanted to know more about what it took to be a race car driver. And he, and he says, if I got all the best race car drivers dead or alive in a room together, what is it they'd all have in common? Mm. And I thought that was the most brilliant way for someone to explain the essence of what they do. Because we're all different people. We all might approach things different. But there's some level of commonality for all of these people to be the best at this one profession. And what is that thing that everybody has? I think and that, that, that question can apply to anything, you know. I just thought it was a brilliant way to. And ever since I heard that, I was like, man. I mean, there's just. I mean, in, in time and time again, the, the, the anchors at 60 minutes, the journalists at 60 minutes. You know, they, it's an art the way that they phrase they phrase these questions. It really is. Well, I, you know, and one observation I'll make based on that whole anecdote is that. 
I, I, I'm dying to hear the answer. Like what, you know, what is that thing? Yeah. Yeah. So if you have questions that you're dying to know the answer to, that's your video. Maybe that's a great way to judge, you know, questions as you're listing them. It's like, do, is the answer, is an answer to this interesting? You know, will people want to know what the answer to this is? Right. Uh, and I think if you use that sort of criteria, you probably cross a lot. I'm just yeah, exactly. Oh. And some some questions you have to formulate just to, to fill in gaps in the story. Like this chef, I, I want his daughter to talk about how you know famous this her dad was as a chef and his accomplishments because I think that's going to help the story when I talk about you know the the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s when he was on top of the world. Um, so I I, I I think I'm just going to ask her. Brag about your dad a little bit for me, mm. and just see what she says. You know, well, you know, my dad was one of the best chefs. He did this, did that. Set. I mean, that's I don't I don't need a narrator. I, I can just have her tell me. I want to uh, just ask one or two more questions. One, because I just was having this conversation with a colleague of mine whose whose role is video journalist, and um, you know, has that journalist journalism background so has that training and sort of you know not interrogating people but you know being in i think that profession draws inquisitive people and here's here's my wind up now where's the pitch um (laughs) how do you get people and this is something i asked or i suggested to him because i don't know the answer to this how do you get people to express themselves you know beyond the information express themselves emotionally because there's there's a difference between a soundbite and a an expression of that communicates how they feel, passion or fear or whatever. How do you get that? A lot, you have to know when to when when to press. If they say something, and you know it's 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 an emotional part of their answer, have them force them to elaborate on that. Um, you have to start learning. You got to learn to, to recognize those things as they're speaking, and follow up with questions that keep pushing them and keep pushing them and keep pushing them down that path. I uh, I did a story on a girl with breast cancer, and she, she the whole I thought that was going to be a very emotional interview, and she was telling me about um, you know what when she found out she had breast cancer when she first had to tell her husband when she had to tell her kids, she was powering through all of it, but I wasn't really getting that emotion that you're talking about. And then toward the end of the interview, I said, you know, I, I'm sure there's been a ton of tears throughout this journey you've been on. Um, but I wonder if you could share with me what some of the happy tears have been. And she starts telling the story of when the doctor called her to tell her she was cancer-free. Mm-hmm. And she just completely broke down during this inter- reliving, during my reliving interview. Reliving that moment. Reliving the joy mm-hmm. of telling her family and her kids their tumors were gone. But it was the phrasing of what are some of the happy tears that got her thinking, reliving that moment when she got the call that she didn't have cancer anymore and she got to go tell her family that that mom was going to be okay. Mm. And she just broke down and started crying. And that made for a great video. It, and again, I've seen that one too, and and that and, and that's a powerful moment. And so it's clear that over the years of doing this, you've developed um, a bag. You know, to call it a bag of tricks makes it seem like they're manipulative, like tools to get people to emote. But um, I think you know, you just you've just improved, and you just you, you're more instinct. Your instincts have developed. Your uh, your ability to recognize certain cues, all that. How? And this is my last question. How does one get better at doing this? Watch as many shows as you can with interviews and only pay attention to the interviewer. Hmm. And every time you hear a question that you're like, huh, that was great. I love how he worded that. Have a little note thing on your cell phone and just go right there and write it down. I have a whole, I use Evernote. I have a whole page on Evernote on just questions that I love hmm. and I just read them before interviews and some of them I, I try to put my own if, if I ask a good question I love I mean it's 90% of just people on television 
that are good at what they do, that are the best at what they do, they'll ever, at least once a show you'll hear them ask a question that is so simple or so beautifully worded or such an open question that, the, that invites the person to just be extremely descriptive that, um, you know, you just got to write it down and study it, and eventually you start getting that kind of, that, it's like, you know, it's like anything, I guess. You know, read a lot. Or, you know, if you want to become a better writer, write a lot. But if you want to be good at asking questions, every time you hear a question that you love or that elicits a great answer, write it down. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening to any of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> most, most of this, I've just been yeah just checked out. Mind, yeah, just Minecraft. been been thinking about the next question that I wanted to ask. Or, yeah, yeah. Or, or my brilliant insight into. You know, like the first, like the third word you said, I, like I already had my next question, so I pretty much just tuned, yeah. tuned out. I, so I, I'm assuming this was a great conversation. This isn't even Mike Mazzani. I'm an intern that he paid to <laughs> talk to. Mike, this has been um, a pleasure. Uh, thank you. <laughs> you know, I, hey, it's always good to talk to you. You're the first guy that ever gave me an opportunity to, to work in this field, and I'm forever grateful. I, I remember when I first started out, I didn't know anything. I faked it. You know, I, I didn't know how to light an interview. I didn't know how to work a camera. Um, but you were always so patient with me and explaining everything, why you did this, why this needs to be this many feet away, why are you putting this on here, where you want the eye line. I mean, you really took the time to explain every single thing to me. And, and to this day, that you're the only person that's ever taught me anything. <laughs> you know, the rest of had to kind of figure it out on my own. But um, the foundation that you laid for me is, as, uh, is really the reason why I've gone on to do, uh, just why I'm still in this field and why I'm able to make a living doing it. So thank you so much. Well, you've exceeded any any, any influence that I've had. You've ex- you've exceeded. The, I I just watched this limb restoration video. Then that that opening where he's talking about how much he loves taking photographs and I, and we we could we could dissect this video and, and that that would be good content for this kind of thing. But then the intercutting with him on the uh, on the operating table is just brilliant. And um, Thank I'll, you. I'll include a link in the show notes. So uh, you make me proud. Um, congratulations on the on the, the, the double Emmys at the. Um, yeah. Yeah. What just, a surreal moment. So. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm not going to read any of the comment section in this either. So anybody that wants to. Uh, well, nobody me. nobody listens to this, so we're okay. ba- we're basically just ta- <laughs> well, this, this is just an excuse to, to get you on the phone. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, Joe. Yeah, keep keep up the good work. Well, good, Joe. Thanks so much. All right, later.